Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned. This podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern variety. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice you can make. Don't say we didn't warn you. It's sort of a crash course in David Garrick. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, you know, he's he's an important dude. He is. So he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is the Garrick start in here? That's not no. a thing that we can really talk about. I know. In an audio format, <laughs> uh, but like the, the drawback like we of, need to. Yeah. Of being like yeah. radio. You know what we should do is pull up um that famous painting of him doing the start as Richard Third. Yes. Because that's that's a really good um, yeah illustration of that. Agreed. And also, it's just like a hilarious painting. Shakespeare show. We are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock, and together we are Hamlet. And this week it's The Winter's Tale 301. Woo! Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the show and come back for more. Yeah, 301 episodes. In case you don't know, they are lawless places with no rules. We do whatever the fuck we want yeah we fucking do yeah. um we do however operate on the assumption that you have like a tacit familiarity with this play uh so we're not gonna like do a synopsis um no. but if you need a winter's tale refresher or if you feel like you just can't get enough winter's tale we have 101 and 201 episodes for you just you only you particularly specifically special you uh and no one else just you uh they're in our back catalog you can go find them listen to them and they're awesome so yeah they really are i mean 201 is all about pendosto the the source text yeah it's really fucking good also the 101 episode is the one that we caught like the most hate for because i have controversial opinions about this play oh yeah that's true and we got a lot of we got a lot of people things to say so i'm just gonna i'm not gonna tell you what my controversial opinion is and you're just gonna have to go back and listen to our 101 episode to find out and then you can also send me hate mail (laughs) so fucking yeah just get mad all over again two years later yeah Yeah. (laughs) yes do that uh Mm -hmm. so in general aside from being lawless no man's lands uh we want to use 301 episodes to explore a single aspect of the play and this week we're gonna look at some of the weird and wonderful performance history uh, of the winter's tale particularly david garrick's 1758 adaptation of the winter's tale called florizel and perdita a dramatic pastoral in three acts i'm so fucking excited so silly it's very silly um but in order to kind of really contextualize Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. florizel and perdita and this and before i jump into like a synopsis of this kooky goofy adaptation we Mm -hmm. need to know who the fuck was this david garrick guy and why should we care jess Well, Aubrey, I'm so glad you asked. Mm, Yes. It's almost like Uh, it was scripted. 
<laughs> so uh, David Garrick um, was a, an English actor, playwright, theater manager, and producer who influenced nearly all aspects of theatrical practice throughout the entire long 18th century. That's true. Um, also, he was a pupil and friend of Dr. Samuel Johnson, if that is a name that means anything to you. And if it's not a name that means anything to you, it should, because he is the guy, as I tell my students every end of semester, um, he's the guy who created the first uh, major dictionary in the English language. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a it's an accomplishment, and it took him a long mm-hmm. time, and he was paid very little for it, and it had only a few words in it, but a lot of those words reference Shakespeare. So, uh, anyway, so David Garrick uh, was born in February, uh, t- t- shit, February nineteenth, seventeen seventeen, which is tomorrow for us, but yes. last week for y'all. Yes. Um, so that's thrilling. Happy birthday, the, David Garrick. The ripe age of what does that make him? Three hundred and twenty-three. Sure. Yeah. Math. Um, yeah. He, yeah. So he was born in 1717. He died in 1779. Whatever. Not whatever. That's when he lived. Uh, <laughs> during his lifetime, um, he appeared in a number of amateur performances. Uh, and then at a point in his career, um, he played Richard III in. Richard the Third. I know, mm. I know, right? I know. Shocking. Uh, and this is about when people started to take notice of him was his, for his performance of Richard the Third. Yeah. yeah. So, and because why is that? well, uh-huh. because uh, because of his favorable portrayal of Richard the Third, and also a number of other roles, um, a guy called Charles Fleetwood <laughs> hired Garrick for a season, an entire season, at the Theater Royal at Drury Lane. Um, and Drury Lane is like a big deal theater in it is, yeah. the England. I don't know why I said the England, but that's where it is, and it's a big deal. Um, so Garrick remained with Drury Lane for the next five years and then also purchased a share in the theater. So he was a shareholder, just like our friend Shakespeare. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, when he purchased his share... This kicked off 29 years of David Garrick's management of Drury Lane, during which time it rose to prominence as one of the leading theaters in all of Europe. And it's probably why he's probably he's responsible for uh, Drury Lane's sort of injuring um, legacy. Reputation. Reputation. That's the word I want. Thank you. Reputation. Um, That. So. At the time of his death, uh, he had been retired from Drury Lane and the stage for about three years um, and was given a lavish public funeral at Westminster Abbey, where he is buried at Poets Corner. So if you are there, you can go see him. Yeah, I think he was to... like the first uh, artist to be to be buried at Westminster, if I is remember that correctly. true? That's amazing. I think so. I think that's what I read in the Wikipedia when I was oh, right. browsing <laughs> through this. He was like the first or one of the first like at, to be given a place of prominence at Westminster. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. David Garrick's an important guy. Um, Sidebar. If you happen to be around Washington, D.C. in like two years when the Folger reopens, they have David Garrick's silverware and you can like go see it. Random. (laughs) Yeah. 
That's yeah. super random. Uh, yeah, um, I was I was there doing research over the summer and um, was hanging out with the head of acquisitions, who is no longer there. She's since moved on. Um, but she was like showing me some some of her favorite things, and she was like just like opened a drawer and was like, "Here's David Garrick's silverware," just like randomly in a drawer wow. i was like like i couldn't i couldn't process it i was like i but uh, <laughs> sure yeah like, amazing he yeah. ate with it yes wow. yeah so okay so sidebar and now back to david garrick so uh <laughs> david garrick the actor uh this is you know how he achieved his first brush of fame as an actor yes. uh, and as an actor he promoted a realistic quote unquote acting style something that we might not think of as realistic but at the time was was called realistic um realistic acting that departed from the bombastic style of acting that was entrenched as as he was you know an up-and-coming actor um the acting that he called realistic we would now call bombastic af but that is neither here nor there so his acting his realistic acting uh delighted many audiences um and then he became a director as well and directed a lot of top actors on the english stage uh and influenced their styles of acting as well during his time as manager of Drury Lane, Garrick also sought to reform audience behavior, which is like, mm. love that. Love to hear it. Love to see it. Um, ambitious. This, yes. Yeah. Uh, this led to, as you might uh, imagine, some discontent among the theater going public. Uh, but many of his reforms did eventually take hold. So like kudos to him Mm -hmm. uh he also sought reform in production managers uh and brought consistency to productions that included set design costumes and even special effects yay yeah okay dude yeah so um as you might be aware because you are a human and you understand how humans work uh garrick was not in fact universally beloved what i know i know um so this guy called and I love, I love, love, love this guy. Love his brother more, but love this guy. Theophilus Sibber. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Kibber. Depends. You can say it however you want. I'm going to say Sibber because that's how I've always said it. Uh, Theophilus Sibber <coughs> wrote two dissertations on the theaters. That was the title of the work uh, wow. in, in 1756. And he thought that Garrick's acting style went too far. And this is what he says. Quote, his over-fondness for extravagant attitudes, frequently affected starts, convulsive twitchings, jerkings of the body, sprawling of the fingers, slapping the breast and pockets, a set of mechanical motions in constant use, the caricatures of gesture suggested by pert vivacity, his pantominical manner of acting every word in a sentence, his unnatural pauses in the middle of a sentence his forced (laughs) conceits his willful neglect of harmony even where the round period of a well-expressed noble sentiment demands a graceful cadence in the delivery oh my god yeah homie don't play with garrick no but also like i'm just getting a crazy mental picture of what what the fuck was garrick doing every word convulsing uh, and starting and well wow yeah wow Um, david garrick is a is a delightful figure um so i i historian 
Reverend Nicholas Tyndall wrote uh, sort of the opposite. He wrote some praise uh, of Garrick and and said that the deaf hear him in his action and the blind see him in his voice, um, which is, a, I think, a ringing endorsement of the, I like yeah. what you doing. Mr. Garrett sounds like both physically and vocally he was very mm-hmm. expressive. Yes, um, uh, you know, which some yeah. people like, and some people don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Garrick was an influential guy, um, and his influence extended uh, not just in the theater but into literature and literary criticism as well. Um, and as we're about to find out, he uh, wrote some shit. And by yeah. I wrote in air quotes, he adapted Shakespeare. Um, yeah. And like, oh, his adaptations are something. Anyway, uh, so yeah, um, the, the critical tradition on David Garrick's um, works of theatrical literature, uh, are the, he's not great. He's not great. We don't we don't love what he did. Um, However, what he did do that we uh, are thankful for and appreciate is that he brought Shakespeare um, into huge prominence in in his contemporary world, um, particularly with audiences. Uh, He also adapted um, some older plays that might have been forgotten otherwise, things that might have completely fallen out of uh, the repertoire, um, including plays from the Restoration era, which... uh, many people will thank him for i will not because they're all the same every single restoration play is the same they're fine whatever yes um (laughs) uh, and so so he he did these things he also uh made um he he gave theater itself a better reputation you know in, in many times even perhaps now actors are sort of looked down on uh but they Mm -hmm. were more so before garrick um and so this led his friend dr samuel johnson to remark that quote his profession made him rich and he made his profession respectable also this is maybe maybe i don't i want to say we did a burbage break on garrick's shakespeare jubilee does that sound familiar to you I don't think we did, hmm. but let me check. I mean, I can yeah. check our. I mean, because really that's quick. that's a that's a topic for like an entire episode. Frankly, yeah. is the Shakespeare Jubilee, which was a fucking flop. Let's say that yeah. <laughs> um, it's not on our list of things that we covered. Okay. Weirdly, All right. Well, so, um, so but it, you're right. And, it does deserve yeah. coverage. The the quick and dirty is that uh, in 1767, I think um, Garrick was like, oh, hey, we just missed the anniversary of Shakespeare's birth three years ago um (laughs) so we should have like a giant festival a jubilee if you will to celebrate Uh him uh and they planned entertainments and they built structures and they did parades and uh it was a colossal failure um, because of the timing and also I think like the weather was bad. Yeah, it got rained out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, everything England. they had planned to perform outside yes. totally got yeah. wiped out by the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you, I mean, if, if you are interested in learning more about that, uh, I will recommend you again to my friend Google <laughs> and you yes. can Google, uh, Garrick Shakespeare Jubilee, or even probably just Shakespeare Jubilee and it'll come up. Um, it's, it's, it's worth a listen or a yeah. learn or a read. 
it's worth you should you should check it out um because it's hilarious anyway yeah uh so should we talk about florizel and perdita yes um and before i jump into that i also want to add on because i didn't think of it at the time but i have thought of it now if you want like more detailed descriptions of the acting, the incredible, natural, realistic acting that David Garrick did, you can find them in certain prompt books. Am I right? There are there are like uh, yeah, but you'd need a specialized library okay. uh, to access them, I think. Yeah, but there are there's like marginalia in some of these prompt books. Um yeah. So if you're if you're at a rather large institution Mm -hmm. and want to go and look up that stuff Mm -hmm. um it is so worth it to read in the margins uh what some poor little stagehand was taking Mm -hmm. notes of what Mm -hmm. he was doing um it's very entertaining yeah also uh on on youtube um just garrick start and uh, there will be entertaining things (laughs) yes the garrick start is um sort of caricatured nowadays Mm -hmm. it's still kind Mm -hmm. of in the like gestural lexicon i think yeah. Yeah. um yeah but it's it's now more it's, in mockery than in yeah. seriousness <laughs> it's what made him famous it is yeah the garrick start yeah. playing yeah. hamlet and richard yeah. Yeah. seeing ghosts and going huh! yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> which is about as good as i can do in a completely yeah in lacking an audio visual. yeah in a totally yeah. audio medium <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just so, imagine the body language that goes along. Yes. With, <laughs> and it's that pretty much. Yeah. 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 It's that. Um, so jumping into Florizel and Perdita, um, David Garrick, apparently I, I read through this today. Um, we're going to throw a link up to it on the landing page for this episode because you can read it in full online for free. Yes. Um, yeah. It, he apparently decided that he didn't give any fucks about what happened in Sicilia in the first half of The Winter's Tale. I mean, why would you? So, I mean, yeah, he he really clearly favors uh, Bohemia and the Bohemians, particularly Autolycus and, and the clown. Like, he cuts uh, almost none of those folks' lines. He just leaves them intact completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so to open it up, right, uh, to have, have this play be more focused on Florizel and Perdita, which arguable if it actually is it's not, like it doesn't actually feature these the young lovers more really they have a couple more lines to say but that's kind of it but it begins uh with a a, a device similar to what you have in the actual winter's tale which is the you know two in the in shakespeare's the winter's tale there's these two you know gentlemen talking about oh yes polixenes has been here nine months oh the heavens restore their loves this time we get it from camillo um oh cool. but not not before a ridiculously long kind of dumb prologue um now here's what's interesting about just the big the top of this play the very beginning it says prologue to the winter's tale comma and catherine and petruchio oh so so i think this prologue was used more than once well yeah because catherine and petruchio is his shrew condensation yes it says both from shakespeare in parentheses (laughs) in case you don't know reader (laughs) Um, and and beneath that, then it says written and spoken by Mr. Garrick. So I mean, he he wrote himself a little prologue. It's kind of long. I don't. I mean, should we read it to read it or not to read it out loud? Uh, but basically, it just kind of meanders, and he makes a lot of references to 
Falstaff and the other East Cheap people. Um, I think because, you know, given his audience on Drury Lane, a lot of the people are from that part of town in London. So I think it's a very, like, local sort of joke. Uh, and then... Uh, "'Tis my chief wish, my joy, my only plan, to lose no drop of that immortal man." Uh, and that's how it ends. And then there's an asterisk beneath that that says, "'Mr. Quinn had then left the stage.'" Now, who the fuck Mr. Quinn is, I don't know. <laughs> One of the <laughs> But that's actors. how it begins, with this sort of cut-and-paste prologue that it's apparently amazing. works for both the the Wintersdale and Catherine and Petruchio. Well, you know, lovers. Sure. Yeah, totally. Same theme. Yeah. So moving on then to the first scene. And again, this is in three acts now, not Shakespeare's five acts. Uh, so in the first scene of the first act, uh, we get Camillo. You remember him from the Winter's Tale. We get Camillo having been in uh, Bohemia for 16 years. He lets us know. Um, and he's the one who gives us all of this, uh, basically, it's a retelling, a very short little summary of the first half of The Winter's Tale from Camillo's perspective, with a few little nuggets of Shakespeare's language rolled into the dialogue. Um, and he also says, oh, by the way, Paulina fled to Bohemia 16 years ago, too. And now Leontes is on his way here to Bohemia by boat. So apparently Garrick didn't care enough to fix that that you can't get to Bohemia by boat. He just goes along with Shakespeare. It's fine. Sure. Uh, and, and Leontes is on his way to atone for his sins in person with Polixenes on Polixenes' turf. So we're never going to Sicilia uh, in this version. Like, Sicily well, may as well not exist. We're not going cool. there. Cool. Fine with so, that. So, yeah. So we get that. And Camillo's relating this to a random gentleman. <laughs> and sure. Like, yeah. And there are some parts where Camillo's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm boring you. And the guy's like, no, you're not. Keep going. Keep talking. All the things. And it's it's very silly. Okay. And then there were a couple. There's a couple of times, Jess, where I'm going to ask us to do a little read side by side. So. Okay. Great. I'll read the Garrick version if you just want to read. I can yeah. direct you to the part. Yeah. Let me uh, open the Shakespeare up. just to hear the the few little differences. So, oh, sorry. Yeah. So you you want me to to read? Yeah. Out of so here. if you read the Shakespeare, yeah. got it. Got if it. You got you read it, the Winter's okay. Tale. I will okay. read the Garrick part. Okay. Because um, yeah. it's just a couple of people's little speeches. So from this little. <laughs> opening this uh -huh. opening salvo from Camillo uh -huh. we immediately jump to what would be act three scene three in Shakespeare's play uh right after the bear part so there's no bear uh and we get immediately to the clown and the shepherd where they find the baby except in Garrick's play we're already 16 years ahead so there's no baby um, okay. Perdita is off somewhere yeah. being a, a teenage shepherdess cool. okay so um just to refresh our memory if you would please read the clown's uh, little prose speech, starting with, I would you did but see how it chafes, how it rages. I would you did but see how it chafes, how it rages, how it takes up the shore, but that's not to the point. Oh, the most piteous cry of the poor souls, sometimes to see him and not to see him. Now the ship boring the moon with her mainmast and anon swallowed with yeast and throth, froth as you'd thrust a cork into a hogshead. And then for the land service to see how the bear tore out his shoulder bone, how he cried to me for help and said his name was Antigonus, a nobleman. 
but to make an end of the ship, to see how the sea flap dragoned it. But first, how the poor souls roared and the sea mocked them, and how the poor gentleman roared and the bear mocked him, both roaring louder than sea or weather. Thank you very much. Welcome. Channeling my best, Chris Johnson. (laughs) Exactly. so in the Garrick version, in Florizel and Perdita, mm-hmm. of course, there's no Antigonus because there's nope. no baby and no bear. Nope. Um, so the, the shipwreck that the clown in this, per, in this production describes is mm-hmm. the shipwreck that brings Leontes to Bohemia. So here's how it goes. Yes. Yeah. I would you did but see how the sea chafes, how it rages, how it rakes up the shore. But I am not to say it is a sea, for it is now the sky. Betwixt the firmament and it, you cannot thrust a bodkin's point. But oh, the most piteous cry of the poor souls, sometimes to see em and not to see em. But then the ship, to see how the sea flap-dragoned it. But first how the poor souls roared, and how the sea mocked them. Then the ship, now boring the moon with her mainmast, and anon swallowed with yeast and froth, as you'd thrust a cork into a hoghead. And then going down a couple more lines. I'm just going to skip so you get the gist. The clown mm-hmm. has to say, because again, we're talking about Leontes now. Mm-hmm. Look, look, father, there are two of them cast ashore and crawling up the rock. <gasps> now they are down again. Poor souls. They have not the strength to keep their hold. I will go help them. <laughs> and it turns out to be Leontes supported by Cleomenes. Remember of Cleomenes? And Dion fame? Yeah, yes. Cleomenes of Cleomenes and Dion at the Oracle fame. Mm. Um, he gets, Cleomenes gets a major upgrade in uh, in Florizel and Perdita. He's like the <laughs> an new actual he's, character. Yeah, he's an actual character. He's the new Camillo. He's Leontes' right hand man who apparently has been with him for 16 years while Leontes, like, makes amends or whatever so so that's just a a little taste of of how different it is and then there's some totally made up dialogue right after that yeah um so yeah and and jess could we read um are you're looking at the the online doc now uh yes okay so where it says enter leontes supported by cleomenes can we just read the those two or three lines who uh who am i reading um, if, if you could be Cleomenes, that'd be great. And we'll great. just do okay. those about six lines. Okay. Yeah. Uh, bear up, my liege, again, welcome on shore. Flatter me not, in death distinctions cease. Uh, am I on shore? Walk I on land, firm land, or ride I yet upon the billows' backs? Methinks I feel the motion. Who are thou? Know you me not? Your friend, Cleomenes? Oh, yes. Very nice exposition there, Garrick. That's great. Where are my other friends? What? Perished all? Not a soul saved. Ourselves are are all our crew. Pilot, shipmaster, bosun, sailors, all. Through the smacks of the tempest. Mm. Uh, Laud we the gods, yet wherefore perish they, innocent souls? And I, with all my guilt, live yet to load the earth? Oh, righteous gods, your ways are past the line of man to fathom. Wow. Every once in a while, Garrick throws in like these completely made up exchanges, but he does sometimes pepper them with other quotes from other Shakespeare plays. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Because, as we've said already, Garrick was not the best writer, so it behooved him to sort of lift from a better writer, a.k.a. 
Shakespeare. So that's a little bit of it. Also, he does, uh, Garrick does try to switch back and forth between verse and prose a lot here. He tries to follow the rules of what Shakespeare sets forward in most of Shakespeare's works, which is that like lower class characters talk in prose and the upper class ones talk in, uh, in verse. So he does try to adhere to that, but it's kind of hilarious when he makes it up himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, so then we get, you know, the clown and autologous interaction during the sheep shearing, like totally, wholly lifted wholesale. And then there's a song, a five verse song yes for perdita to sing yes yeah it's fucking great i wish i knew the tune to go with it so you know florizel and perdita are doing their usual just like in the shakespeare play Mm -hmm. their usual flirty flirty what what preparing for the uh preparing for the sheep shearing is the song i i (laughs) No, I know. Okay. So there's, yeah, five verses of these little quartets. Quatrains. Quatrains. Quartets. It's a different thing. (laughs) Fine. A quartet is, okay, I get it. Quatrains. That's the word. Yep. Ugh. Latin prefixes. Okay. Can we just read it? Yeah. Do you want want me to sing it? Because I'll fucking (laughs) sing it. I mean, if you want to, that'd be great. So just to to keep our listeners... uh, on track of where we are. So um, at the point in Shakespeare's play and also in this play, uh, Perdita has a line where she says, I'll swear for him. And then Polixenes has a line that is uh, right after that is, this is the prettiest lowborn lass that ever ran of the green ford. So in between those two lines is where Garrick has inserted this song. So Perdita says in, in Florizel and Perdita, she says, I'll swear for him. And then she launches into song which prompts uh, Polixenes' line of "This is the prettiest lowborn lass." Okay, so yeah, Jess, hit me, hit me with your best shot. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do yeah. it. Yeah, um, yes, please. <clears throat> I'll preface please, please. this by saying that I have no degree in uh, singing, so don't apologize like, for your work. Just do yeah, it. I'm gonna do it. Okay. Come, come, my good shepherds, our flocks we must shear In your holy day suits with your lasses appear The happiest of folk are the guiltless and free And who are so guiltless, so happy as we? We harbor no passions by luxury taught We practice no arts with hypocrisy fraught What we think in our hearts you may read in our eyes For knowing no falsehood we need no disguise but oh, mode and caprice are the city dames led But we as the children of nature are bred By her hand alone we are painted and dressed For the roses will bloom when there's peace in the breast yes. That giant ambition we never can dread Our roofs are too low for so lofty a head Content and sweet cheerfulness open our door They smile with the simple and feed with the poor Bring it home! When love has possessed us that love we reveal Like the flocks that we feed are the passions we feel So harmless and simple we sport and we play And leave to find folks to deceive and betray Yay! That was was beautiful. Now I'm sweating. That was really, (laughs) just like high pressure for me. That's amazing. That was amazing. That was really, really good. Hey, thanks. Um, yeah. It, it, when you sing it like that, and it's got like sort of the cadence of a sea I mean, shanty, yeah, which I is kind of like funny. Yeah, I feel like it's a little, little jaunty. We're on the yeah. sea coast of Bohemia. Yeah. Right, yes. The imaginary coast of Bohemia. <laughs> you know. Yes. Indeed law. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Perdita has this lovely little song that presumably Garrick wrote. And then we get, like, he just gives lines 
to the most random characters. Like, Mopsa and Dorcas have backstory now? Good. Like, I, I guess, yeah, I guess he feels like that needed to be explained. So, for example, a few lines after that gorgeous song, um, Mopsa says, Here's to do. Mary, I'll swear he promised me long afore that day in the hayfield. By the token, our curate came by, and whereof all our folk were gone further afield. He advised us to get up and go home quickly, for that dew fell apace, and the ground was dank and unhealthsome. More nor that, you promised me groves and ribbons and knacks at the fair, and more nor that. And the clown says, not a word, not a word more, wenches. Dorcas then says, Mary, come up. Others have promises as well as some, but I have heard old folks in the parish say that some folks have been proud and courtly and false-hearted ever since some folks' father found a pot of money by the seaside here. <laughs> but I say nothing. Paralypsis much? What? Yes, exactly. She's throwing some major shade. Mm-hmm. Um, some so... folks' father found a pot of money. <laughs> right? It's <laughs> amazing. Right? Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So, like, going through this script, you can very clearly see that um, it seems pretty obvious to me anyway that Garrick favored all of the clowns because um, he not only kept most of their lines intact, but he added some. Um, and the other person he favors a lot is Leontes, which, of course, makes sense because at the top of this uh, online script, um, you can also see that Mr. Garrick played Leontes. Um, So naturally, he was going to give himself Mm -hmm. a a sympathetic take. So every time we get lines from Leontes throughout this, they're very, uh, you know, they show how guilt ridden he is, how touched he is, you know, um, by at the sight of Perdita and blah, blah, blah. So then, you know, and if again, thinking back to. Um, Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale, Polixenes and Camillo show up to the sheep shearing, you know, dressed like old dudes and, you know, early modern facial blindness, blah, blah, blah. Um, So now Leontes and Cleomenes become the third and fourth disguised old men at this sheep shearing. So now we have doubled our population of weird old dudes, like random old dudes at this sheep shearing. And he, uh, Garrick, uh, reassigns a lot of Camillo's lines to Leontes. uh, And then again, and just like lifts them completely from Shakespeare. Um, but he just gives some of them to Leontes. And uh, so, you know, there are moments where not only are Polixenes and Camillo like totally taken by the charms of Perdita, uh, now Leontes is as well. And he's like, oh, she's the age my daughter would be now. If my daughter weren't dead, I'm so terrible. <laughs> you know, um, so that's, that's kind of how it goes. And then it's after Polixenes' little temper tantrum when this play really kind of goes off the rails. So if you'll recall, after the sheep shearing you know Florizel's very sweet and he kind of kind of sort of proposes sort of publicly to Perdita you know and the old shepherd kind of makes it official uh and then Polixenes you know loses his shit and he's like well uh, you gotta tell your dad I'm your dad (laughs) I caught you this time instead of Camillo being Camillo and being like I'll intercede for you you guys should run away to Sicily instead Leontes offers he's like you don't know me kids but i know your dad and i'm gonna go talk to him (laughs) basically he's like i know polixenes don't ask me why and don't ask me how but i do like i'm gonna go talk to him for you and they're like okay and then uh florizel and perdita have some dialogue that garrick just made up all on his own at the end of um, that second act. I'm trying to find it right now. Let's see. Polixenes, dis- you know, discovers himself. 
which is funny. Uh, and Leontes has some really fun asides to Cleomenes. Like Polixenes uh, says both in in this play and in Shakespeare's play, mark your divorce, young sir, whom, I, whom son I dare not call, thou art too base to be acknowledged, thou a sceptered heir that thus affects a sheep hook. And Leontes, in parentheses, <laughs> amazed. How? Polixenes? What mystery is this? I want the power to throw me at his feet, nor can I bear his eyes. And then he leans on Cleomenes and they go apart. I love <laughs> going just, apart. Yeah, they just like step away so that Polixenes sure, sure. doesn't see them. Because um, apparently Leontes, I guess, is too distinctive to be... Uh, to have the early modern facial blindness work for him, I don't know. Mm. So yeah, at at the end, there's you know a little a few lines between Florizel and Perdita. So the, again, the young people get like a tiny chunk of of more speaking together without the adults around. Still doesn't actually, I, I think, warrant calling this Florizel and Perdita, but it's fine. So then at the top of Act Three, Garrick's Act Three, uh, we get Autolycus coming back in. The way he often just pops up in Shakespeare's play, too. So this is another one that I would like to read back to back and compare. So, uh, Jess, if you wouldn't mind going to mid act four, scene four. I know the one you're here. It is. Uh, what a fool honesty is and trust. Yes. is for, Yeah. OK. Yes, that's yeah, yeah. the one. Yep. That's the so, one. So, yes. And if yep. you wouldn't mind just reading that and then the I thing? will read. Yes, please. Very good. Very good. All right. Ha ha. What a fool honesty is, and trust, his sworn brother, a very simple gentleman. I have sold all my trumpery, not a counterfeit stone, not a ribbon, glass, pomander, brooch, table book, ballad, knife, tape, glove, shoe tie, bracelet, horn, ring to keep my pack from fasting. They throng who should buy first, as if my trinkets had been hallowed and brought a benediction to the buyer, by which means I saw whose purse was best in picture, and what I saw, to my good use, I remembered. My clown, who wants but something reasonable to be a man, grew so in love with the wench's song that he would not stir his petty toes till he had both tune and words, which so drew the rest of the herd to me that all their other senses stuck in ears. You might have pinched a placket. It was senseless. Twas nothing to geld a codpiece of a purse. I could have filed keys off that hung in chains. No hearing, no feeling, but my sir's song and admiring the nothing of it. So that, in this time of lethargy, I picked and cut most of their festival purses, and, had not the old man come in with a hubbub against his daughter and the king's son, and scared my chuffs from the chaff, I had not left a purse alive in the whole army. Good old Autolycus. Mm -hmm. Telling it like it is. Stealing uh, shit. He's pickpocketing. Yeah. Yep. Stealing, stealing, and stealing. Okay, so that's what we get from Shakespeare. Garrick has rearranged and sort of condensed several of Autolycus's little expository speeches like this and added some of his own flavor. So let's let's hear Garrick's version of this. Mm -hmm. Okay. How fortune drops into the mouth of the diligent man. Oh, sorry. I need to reread that as a question because there's a question mark. How fortune drops into the mouth of the diligent man. <laughs> See, if I be not transformed courtier again 
four silken gamesters who attended the king and were reveling by themselves at some distance from the shepherds have drank so plentifully that their weak brains were turned are turned topsy turvy. I found one of them and an old court, an old court comrade of mine retired from the rest, sobering himself with sleep under the shade of a hawthorn. I made use of our ancient familiarity to exchange garments with him. The peddler's clothes are on his back and the pack by his side as empty as his pockets, for I have sold all my trumpery, not a counterfeit stone, nor a ribboned glass pomander brooch, table book, ballad, knife, tape, glove, shoe tie, bracelet, horn, they thronged who should buy first, and as if my trinkets had been hallowed and brought a benediction to the buyer, by which means I saw whose purse was best in picture, and what I saw to my good use I remembered, my good clown, who wants but to be once but something to be a reasonable man, grew so in love with the wench's song that he would not stir his petty toes till he had the tune and words, which so drew the rest of the herd to me that all their other senses stuck in ears, no hearing, no feeling, but my sir's song and admiring the nothing of it. I picked and cut most of their festival purses, and had not the old man come in with a hubbub against his daughter and the king's son, and scared my chuffs from the chaff, I had not left a purse alive in the whole army ha 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 what a fool honesty is and trust his sworn brother a very simple gentleman i see this is the time the unjust man doth thrive and gods do this year connive at us and we may do anything extempore aside aside here is more matter for a hot brain every lane's end every shop church session hanging yields a careful man work boy that's like two things in one it is yeah plus a little extra right like yeah. so what what garrick has done is taken away the need for autolycus and the clown <clears throat> to change clothes mm-hmm. on stage right mm-hmm. he's he's just given autolycus a backstory of how he already arrived on stage in his gentleman's garb um rather than watching him trade clothes with the clown interesting you know weird little changes i'm always struck when adaptations make I don't know, which seemed to me like needless changes. And I Mm -hmm. just kind of wish we could wake Garrick up and ask him the logic behind some of that. Right. (laughs) Be like, why that? Like, why that specifically? Like, you know, this this little Florizel and Perdita reads pretty quickly. I'm sure there was all kinds of elaborate nonsense happening on stage that made it take longer. For sure, for sure. You know, because this is, I mean, let's be real. This is the 18th century and it was mm-hmm. spectacle and whatever. So I'm sure it took like a full three hours no, to do. No, no, no. This is probably but... an afterpiece. Oh, you think? Yeah. Because okay. uh, Kate and Petruchio was for sure an afterpiece. Um, and this is a, about the same length. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, so this, this is wouldn't probably... be a full length play. No, no, no. This would be like oh. after whatever performance they're going to do that night and you you do the full play and then you like stick around and you see this you know 45 minute whatever so like you're still going to be at the theater until like midnight but yeah yeah this this would be a a dessert a dessert shakespeare if you will okay oh okay that makes a lot more sense because i i mean it does it reads fairly quickly Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and i was assuming that like just they put in a bunch of extra business like that song and stuff to make it a full-length thing okay so thank you for adding that context i had no idea yeah uh no idea so okay so then skipping um (laughs) uh, it's it's really weird after that there's a weird scene 
with Paulina and I think that same random gentleman from before, from the beginning of the play. Yes, good. Um, he's, he's just Mr. Exposition. It's kind of weird. So compared to Shakespeare's play, you know, there's uh, the two or three messengers that like get together and describe to us this tearful reunion between Leontes mm-hmm. and Perdida and Polixenes mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Um, this time it's Paulina who appears in this play she appears at the top of the play and is like oh my i hear leontes is coming i guess i forgive him now and then she goes away and then she comes back uh in act three and she is the one speaking to random gentle person uh about this reunion and now it's like the reunion of perdida and leontes but also the tearful reunion of leontes with polixenes and remember that in this play leontes has gone to polixenes to argue you know for the young lovers uh so paulina now is the one hearing about all of this from the gentleman and she's like "Ooh, ah keep going oh what a weird story and what a coincidence why don't you bring them to my house because i have this random statue of hermione at my house in bohemia where i now live it's very weird (laughs) um yeah uh, so so it's kind of a mishmash of those things. And then jumping to the statue scene, which is fucking brilliant. What Garrick has essentially done really is taken some lines from Shakespeare's Act 5, Scene 1, where Leontes is like, oh, woe is me. Uh, and his people are like, oh, you're mourning too hard. It's been 16 years. Like, you don't have to be so sad anymore. Um, and the, he's taken some of those lines and popped them in at the end. So he's shifted and rearranged some stuff. Um, but particularly the part where Hermione comes to life, I, I feel like we need to read it to the people. Okay. So Paulina's doing her usual thing of, you know, oh, I could make you think it moves. I could afflict you further. <laughs> and weirdly, uh, he moves around the line of it is required you do awake your faith. Oh, and he and Florizel gets a few random lines in this. Like in Shakespeare's play, Florizel's pretty silent yeah. during this statue scene. Like yeah. silent completely. Uh, Florizel gets a couple of lines. He just, uh, he says things like, so long could I admire. Like Perdita mm-hmm. says, so long could I stand by a looker on. And then Florizel says, so yeah. long could I admire her royal, her royal image stamped on thee, heiress of all her qualities. It's like, this is not the no. time to be flirting with your girlfriend, you no. weirdo. Read the room, Florizel. Yeah. Read the fucking room. Okay, so it's music. She comes down. Jess, if you would read Leontes, okay. I will read Polixenes and Perdita just sure. to give folks an idea of like there's even more description happening yep. with Hermione's actions. Like there's yep. more for Hermione to do. Okay. Yep. From Support Me Gods. Uh, support me, gods. If this be more than visionary bliss, my reason cannot hold. My wife my queen but speak to me and turn me wild with transport i cannot hold me longer from those arms she's warm she lives polixenes says she hangs about his neck if she pertain to life let her speak too oh florizel perdita leans on florizel's bosom (laughs) florizel says my princely shepherdess this is too much for hearts of thy soft mold her beating heart meets mine and fluttering owns its long lost half these tears that choke her voice are hot and moist it is hermione embrace polixenes 
I'm turned myself to stone. Where has she lived? Or how stolen from the dead? And then I'm going to skip Paulina's line. And then Hermione has a line and she says, you gods look down and from your sacred files, pour your graces upon their princely heads. So she's talking about her body. Mm -hmm. And then, Jess, if you would read Leontes' line right after that, please. Hark, hark, she speaks. Oh, pipe, through 16 winters dumb, then deemed harsh as the raven's note, now musical as nature's song, turned to the courting spheres. Hermione answers, Before this swelling flood or bear our reason, let purer thoughts, unmixed with earth's alloy, flame up to heaven, and for its mercy shown, bow we our knees together. Oh, if penitents have power to cleanse the foul, sin-spotted soul, Leontes' tears have washed away his guilt. If thanks unfeigned be all that you require, most bounteous gods, for happiness like mine, read in my heart your mercies not in vain. This firstling duty paid, let transport loose, my lord, my king. There's distance in those names. My husband! Oh, my Hermione! Have I deserved that tender name? No more. Be all that's past forgot in this enfolding and forgiven. Thou matchless faint, thou paragon of virtue! Good. And we'll stop there, but it kind of goes on. J-F-C. so JFC. I know, right? So, yeah, uh, you know, Garrick has taken away uh, part of what I think is beautifully mm-hmm. ambiguous uh, mm-hmm. in Shakespeare's play, where Shakespeare tends to leave the actors lots of choices to make in these moments. Um, Garrick has definitely scripted it out that, like, forgiveness all around and, you know, uh, moments with husband and wife and all kinds of stuff and then we go back into a little bit of the leontes oh look camillo over there paulina why don't you marry camillo her 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 um and then we have final uh like the the old people go away and perdita and florizel finish the play Uh, a little bit uh and, and that's and that's how it ends they get like a couple more lines to each other and they're like and they're like, I love you. I love you, too. I'm so glad we can be together. I'm so glad you're my same stature and, like, you're not a shepherdess anymore. <laughs> the end. It's super fucking weird. Fucking um, weird. It's really, really weird. Really weird. Uh, and I don't know. I, I I love it for for the values that it broadcasts of this moment in time, right? Um and this is kind of what your dissertation is about a little bit, right? Like, yeah, not necessarily bit. the adaptations, but like yeah. the way, I guess, the way we can figure out the values of a society and a yes. culture based on the way they adapt or deal with yep. other works, you know? Yep. Um, so I think it really is a snapshot for that, um, particularly of of Garrick and his his value system, for sure. He was uh, very sympathetic to your boy Leontes over here. Um so yeah, that's that's what that is. If you're interested in reading the full thing, it's a quick read. It's amusing to go back and, you know, compare it sort of scene by scene. So so there's that. Isn't mm. that fun? Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we did that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Like I said before we started recording, it's not like as wildly crazy and hilarious as say the Macbeth travesty. Right. Um you know, but I mean, again, what is? Um, let's move on because yes, we're indeed. we're running we're running long yes, this time. We are so. running a little long. Yeah, yeah. It's because of all the reading. I just I had to do the it's reading. Fine. That's fine. Well, you can you can cut my song if you need to for time. Absolutely <laughs> Make not. Make that an extra. <laughs> no, will not. 
Nope. Needs to be in the full episode. Cool. <laughs> cool. Um, so not mere moments ago, uh, the, this afternoon I found out um, that uh, I'm, an article is getting published which is exciting uh and it was accepted for publication without revisions which is a huge fucking deal so that will be out uh, at some point uh this year maybe because it's february so like maybe this year um anyway the the piece is titled uh one drop of nature makes the whole world kin colon uh shakespeare in the construction of race in charles w chestnut's the house behind the cedars and i have maybe talked about this project before on the pod but if so it would have been like early like really fucking early like maybe in the first yeah. 10 to 15 episodes anyway uh there's there's a, a novel from the year 1900 that is called the house behind the cedars it was written by charles w chestnut it's amazing and you should fucking read it uh but there's so much shakespeare in this text and i think that the way charles chestnut who is a biracial author himself um was using shakespeare uh feeds into the constructions of race in this novel um which mm. is about uh racial passing in the uh postbellum south Mm. um it's anyway the novel's great and the project was something that i loved and uh believed in um and it got a couple of rejections now it has a home uh the journal of the wooden o so when that comes out whenever it comes out i'll probably talk about it again because academic publishing takes forever so it'll be i don't know like six or eight months or a year or something so but the fact that they took it with no revisions just blows my mind yeah that's amazing. That's just yeah. a testament to your fucking great writing. So. Well, I also, it had gone through several drafts. Sure. <laughs> so. sure. Still, you yeah. know, still. That's, yeah. that's kind of great. They didn't want further revisions. So yeah. that was, that was that's lovely. That's great. Yeah. Amazing. It's exciting. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so if you'll think back, think back to the uh, the Telegraph kerfuffle <laughs> article that we talked about last week. Yeah. Um, Lynn Gardner, editor of The Stage, which is an online theater magazine, um, has an answer for it. Uh, and her article is titled, uh, The Shakespeare Police Threaten His Legacy, Not Woke Artists. Boom, boom, boom. That's kind of all you need to know from the headline. And that's the gist of what she says. She just, you know, has a has a. I think a well-considered rebuttal to that trash peddler at the Telegraph who Mm -hmm, was poking mm -hmm. some people. So talking about how, you know, people have tried and succeeded in a lot of ways, but tried for years to put like a fence around Shakespeare and say, this is ours. Um, And she, she argues that those people are more of a threat to, to Shakespeare than anybody being quote unquote woke and, casting it outside the box and stuff like that um so it's worth a read we'll throw a link up to that unfortunately you do have to subscribe to the stage it doesn't cost anything for the first three articles so you should be able to read it but if you're if you're following that kerfuffle it's a this is a pretty good rebuttal to that Mm -hmm. first thing Mm -hmm. also we're a little late on this but i did want to acknowledge that fred c adams who was the utah shakespeare festival founder uh he passed away on february 6th he again like i said he founded utah shakes in 1961 he was a beloved figure in the community um so people are mourning his passing still um i think the service 
his funeral service was a few days after February 6th. So it, it's fairly recent, but we are a little bit late. So apologies for being late, but um, we did want to shout that out into the community that, mm-hmm. you know, we're sad for his loss mm-hmm. uh, and, and hope, you know, send our best to his family and his Utah Shakes family. Um, going back to the Guardian, uh, mm-hmm. today they, they have a, a, an article on a Shakespeare gym, which, yeah, um, I'm just, I will throw up a link to this also, and I'm just going to read to you the first, like the, the opening of this article because it's uh-huh. not actually about a Shakespeare gym. Um, but like 1010 would get a membership to a Shakespeare. Oh gym. my God. Absolutely. Anyway, okay. So yes. here it is. Uh, <laughs> speak the speech. I pray you as I pronounced it to you trippingly on the tongue. So says Hamlet to the players, but has his advice gone unheeded at a time when Shakespearean verse speaking is widely held to be in decline. The RSC clearly thinks there is an issue as it has shut up a Shakespeare gym in Stratford upon Avon to ensure in the words of its artistic director, Gregory Doran quote, Everyone has the iambic pentameter in their bloodstream. That's a welcome trend, but I suspect the crisis goes deeper than that, and that classic texts are often regarded as alien, hostile territory. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and it goes on okay. at, at some length. Michael Billington uh, is, is who wrote this. You, you, should, you should read the whole thing. You should read the whole thing. Uh, let me actually read, read to you the final two sentences of this article. Great. I am all for modernity and new writing, but the much debated crisis in Shakespearean verse speaking conceals a wider malaise that we are living with a theater increasingly cut off from its past. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Check it out. Check it out. Yeah. There's also, it's, it's headed with a beautiful, beautiful production shot uh, from RSC's 2016 Hamlet. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's a great shot. Yeah. So, I mean, check it out for that, if nothing else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just the eye candy. The All obligatory just... Simon Russell Beale is halfway through, which like, nah. right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> His Leer was though. terrible. His Leer was, was fucking terrible. It was. So. Yeah, it was not. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Okay. That's it. That's what yeah. we got. Any hoozle. Um, thank you so much for listening. We hope you leave this podcast more informed than when you started. Mm, tune in next week. We are going to revisit Love's Labor's Lost for a 201 episode. Going to be great. Yeah. Whamlet out. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave us a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For show notes and other fun stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. Yeah, get in touch with us. Tell us what you're working on and thinking about. Email us at holla at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on Instagram. Or at hurlyburlyshake, no S, on Twitter. The Hurlyburly Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. I mean, it's not it's not even for all of Garrick's adaptations. This is pretty tame. Like in Hamlet, yeah. uh, pretty much everyone lives. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. And and Horatio and no Leontes and no. Who's the brother? Leontes. Laertes. Laertes. Not Leontes. That's this play. <laughs>
Yes. <laughs> Laertes and uh, I think Laertes and Horatio in, in Hamlet end up ruling the kingdom together jointly. Oh. Yeah. Which oh, is lovely. Uh, wild. <laughs> but Friends. 